Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. This episode we're discussing ghost movies for our Halloween special, and we're going to be discussing The Sixth Sense and Stir of Echoes. This is part one of a two-episode uh, little mini-series, I guess. I don't know what you would call it. This is what we do now. We pick a theme for the whole month, and we do two different episodes. I'm Michael, and that's Kersey. Hey, how's it going? Um, it must be weird just sitting around waiting for me to shut the fuck up. <laughs> It's the uh, the intros. I'm always impressed. You know, I, I, we go hard on the intros. Um, I'm told yeah. I talk too fast, and people have trouble understanding me. Yeah, yeah, I can I see that. Yeah. Uh, at least I'm not like one of those Gilbert Godfrey rest in peace intros. Where have you ever listened to his show? Uh, no. It's like a five minute intro. He'll interview somebody, and then he'll he'll literally discuss like their entire career. And all the people they worked with. And then half the people are like, is this an obituary or is this an introduction to a podcast? At least I don't have that. <laughs> um, so the late 90s is interesting because you have two schools of horror movies going on. You have the slashers because of Scream. But then you have the studios kind of wanting to appeal to older audiences. And then we just got like this this overload of ghost movies for like five six years actually no i guess it hasn't really even ended now that i think about it there's still a conjuring that whole universe is all about hauntings yeah hello yeah i'm here oh, okay sorry it's okay um so i think it's because of the sixth sense it's so we have in 99 we have the Blair Witch well I guess that's another factor too Blair Witch Stir of Echoes The Haunting Sixth Sense and I feel like there's another one in there somewhere but it's like all of a sudden everybody said ghost stories were the fucking thing it was like when um, uh, oh uh, Paranormal Activity happened and then like there was like this explosion of uh, those kind of uh, those kind of uh, films where it's just like recording objects or whatever I don't know how to explain yeah found footage yeah, that footage. The um, so yeah, Sixth Sense is one of those juggernauts that really just owned the last half of summer and early fall and kind of killed everything. It was like the horror version of Titanic. And here's the interesting thing: I was doing research on this, and so Bruce Willis was attached to a project called the Brooklyn Brawler. And they were about a month into filming, and he decided that the director sucked, had her fired, and had another director come in and said, well, fuck this shit, like, on the first day, and walked. And Disney sued him, and they wanted their $25 million they spent on the movie back, so his deal was he would do Armageddon and The Sixth Sense at, like, $1 million instead of his normal $15 million price, and it's just so funny. I wonder if he got a back end on this because if he didn't, boy, did Disney fuck him over. <laughs> so like I said, it made almost four hundred million dollars. But that's kind of your punishment for being a douche. Look, I know he's sick now, but he was a douchebag before this, so that doesn't erase it. He he's been a dick pretty much his whole career. Yeah. The uh, this is M Night Shyamalan's coming out party. He had done a short. No, I think a couple short films in one movie before that called Wide Awake. But after this, he becomes a brand. And to this day, you still, like, he'll put his name... It's like John Carpenter for our generation. <clears throat> Nothing? You didn't, did not know yeah, it. sorry. I don't, I don't have anything to Oh, really? I was, like, expecting you to be like, yeah, well, he was good for the first couple, then he sucked. No, I think... 
I think the thing is, is that he became so hung up, and maybe the audience got so hung up on his twist endings, which I don't know if he's still doing, because I kind of lost, like, somewhere in the films there, I just kind of stopped watching them. But do you think See, that's... that's the thing, I, have, um, I haven't seen Old, um, I don't think it's a, it's not really a twist ending, it's more just like an explanation that, okay. is, that is unusual. So it's not really, I don't think... <sighs> See, that's tricky to explain. So I did see Glass, which was awful. I mean, you could say that about pretty much any of his movies nowadays, but um, there's no twist in that one. Um, I think Glass, it does have a twist to it, which is that it's it's a surprise sequel uh, to Unbreakable. Um, but yeah, he doesn't really like kind of go into the twists anymore. Yeah, it's just so weird because this kind of set that tone, though, because all of a sudden, like, because the twist was so critical to Sixth Sense. Okay, so d- the first time you saw this, did you know? Uh, no, I watched it when I was very young, so I didn't, okay. I didn't know yet. I had a friend who was, like, 15 minutes into the movie, and he was like, oh, yeah, he's dead, isn't he? I was like, what the fuck, dude? Like, what? Like, I had seen it already, but I was like, how did you even guess that? Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> But my mom yeah, had the same were, thing. If you yeah. are paying attention, it is pretty obvious, yeah. actually. It, well, it's strange that we don't really see it immediately. Yeah, but I mean... See, the reason she, my mom knew is because she goes, no one really survives a gut shot. It doesn't matter what year it is. It's still a, a, such a severe injury that it's almost impossible to come back from. But I yeah, did, but it's also a movie. Yeah, like People survive gut shots in movies all the time. That's true. So it's I've not seen, like, unusual. <laughs> I've seen people shot in the face. <laughs> like, yeah, two moments, he gets shot in the eye, and he somehow lives. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. But, it, yeah, it, but like, I, I think that's the difference between like the his first two films, Six Sense. Unbreakable was next, right? Right. Okay. And I think, uh, personally, I think Unbreakable is better. Um, but his first two movies are just really well-made movies that happen to have a twist. And then I think there was all this hype around his twist being this misunderstanding of, like, that the twist serves the movie. It's not that you need the twist, otherwise the movie sucks. Right, because right. then it's just like, how do I how do I make this film unconventional? Unconventional, but then you'd forget to actually make a good movie. And... It's so interesting. I wonder what it was like. I wonder if Haley Joel Osment had to walk away as an actor because he was so... That that saying, that character was so ubiquitous. I see dead people. It had to get annoying, especially as a kid. Probably people were coming up to him all the time saying, he's like, all right, I fucking get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, he's still acting these days. Did he like leave and then come back? Or? Yeah, he did. But he took a long gap. I think he was gone for like 15 years. But yeah, he still gets constant work. Yeah, and he's, and he's still very good. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to see him back. Scene. Where did he stop? Okay, so he stops after Secondhand Lions and does a brief role in Home of the Giants, but doesn't come back. And so he wasn't as gone as long as they thought he was. He started acting again in 2010. Um, but I think, I mean, he he got nominated and he's critically acclaimed for a reason. I think he is very good in this. Yeah, I mean, I am not a fan of children movies because they're usually suck. But it's a lot to put on to a kid to be like the main star. Yeah, uh, especially with someone like Bruce Willis, and actually come away looking really good. Do you think that his performance changed how kids were portrayed in, in especially like you know, 
decent productions. They couldn't be the cutesy wootsy kind of thing, or they they had to rewrite to be more realistic, real kids. Uh, I mean, like if you go back and watch like ET, I mean that kid was also phenomenal. Yeah, you're right. uh, okay. in terms of like his acting range. So I think it's just I think it's just hard to find good talent. Okay. Um, yeah, that's the thing about child actors too is as you get older your competition gets more fierce and more talented and so maybe he needed to walk away to first just take a breather from the whole thing but maybe like okay well I have that mid period now where I can be a real adult like not Hollywood adult just a normal everyday adult and bring that to my acting when I'm de- I decide to come back yeah exactly I, I, I hope that's what he did and I do like the fact that Bruce Willis here kind of ditches everything that you knew about him from all of his movies. You know, the smugness, the smarm, the the anger, you know, the kind of stuff that you would see in most the, of his The films. masculinity. Yeah, he really strips it down and becomes like a whole different kind of actor for a while. Yeah, he's just playing a guy. And not, not like the kind of, uh, you know, diehard just a guy, but like an actual just a man. Yeah, and he's quiet and restrained the performance, which I help I think helps make it more haunting. Yeah. And you know, I just this kind of brought filmmaking, I think, back to Philly. I mean we we had uh Pittsburgh and Philly were kinda of like the hubs for um George Romero for most of his career. And then to have another big, I guess, horror director. I guess I guess you must might call it just thriller director. Um, back to Philly because it just looks different than New York and, and there's a different vibe I think a more blue collar vibe oh for sure yeah the um, when I saw this in theaters there's a sequence that made me like hyperventilate my sister actually had to slap me on the shoulder and ask me if I was okay <laughs> and it's the scene where he's in his room in the tent and the little girl mm-hmm. is the little girl I knew is there exactly the scene you were talking about yeah. before you said it that's and she just spits up all that stuff I'm like, <laughs> whatever and she was like would you stop are you okay I'm like I've been watching a movie you're ruining a moment <laughs> yeah it's, that's another thing too is like the, uh, for uh, most of it it's not you know it's not like you wouldn't really categorize this as like a horror film um, but there are a couple of sequences that are like very dark and disturbing and I like that they really build those up um or at least they wait um, for those moments. Yeah. Um, another one that I that really creeped me out as a kid is when uh, he's confessing to his mom that he sees dead people, and there's just like this guy who's dead who's just like looking into the car, like something just so subtle. It was just like so creepy. Yeah, I think the most horrifying moment of this has nothing to do with ghosts, and it's the video that's played where she's poisoning her own kid. Yeah. I mean, it haunts me. I, the real horror is the human, not the ghost. And I don't know, something about, like, do you see the darkness? That's the weirdest thing is it's such a mainstream movie, but it's it's the exact opposite of anything that should be released in the summer. It's very quiet and controlled, and it is fucking dark. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I respect what he did, and I really, like, I am sick of ghost movies, but at the same time, this was kind of a thing that, a genre that had died away. You know, a horror movies for adults. You know, not trying to fill the the teenage slasher need during this time. Right. I mean, even ghost movies to this day, for the most part, follow the same formula of 
you know, a ghost moves the door a little bit, and then by the end, it's lifting objects, and then everyone's scared. And this one, like, really just took the idea of ghosts and just made it so much more real and uh, so much more... It's also it's more horrifying in a way because it's so much more relatable than, um, you know, watching Satan being summoned in a house or something. Yeah. Um, I actually am not a fan of demon possession movies. I rarely ever watch them. Uh, I think you... The problem is... You really just you have the Exorcist and everything else is just a repeat of it. Um, the only other one that I like is I think Demons, which uh, is a whole. I think it's more like a zombie movie. Yeah, I, I wouldn't call it a demon movie. Yeah. Um, so, is there anything else you want to say about this before we go on to the next film? No, it's a it's a good movie. I would highly recommend it. It's it's worth. I think it does live up to the hype. The second film we're going to discuss is one that got overshadowed by The Sixth Sense and Blair Witch. And um, you're probably wondering why uh, we haven't discussed The Blair Witch when it perfectly fits in with all this. I can't watch it because it makes me want to vomit. The camera just shakes and shakes and shakes. <laughs> I've seen it once and I just can't. That's why I've seen it a couple times. I, I really like it. I also, it's very funny because I'm into like um, a lot of analog horror online. Yeah. And which is kind of a uh, paradoxical statement, but um, it, it a lot of it really is uh, kind of, uh, takes a lot of inspiration from that movie, so I'm kind of used to it now. Okay. I mean, I do remember the end being absolutely haunting when he's in the corner. Oh, that, yeah, that's... it still is. Yeah. yeah. Um, even, even Resident Evil 7 uh, it, uh, copied that. Really? Just straight up. There, yeah. I will say this. Uh, there was a period of time where I couldn't even hear things from the movie without like getting really unnerved. A friend of mine would purposely wait. He, like I would go over to his house and he would have his TV on, but then he would wait for me like to walk away to go to the bathroom or go get something to drink. And he would come back and I would hear it. He would start playing Blair Witch just to fuck with me. <laughs> um, but sorry, I lost track there. So the movie that got run over by the other two, which I actually think is better, is Stir of Echoes. I fucking love this movie. And uh, Artisan really had their hopes set on this because they promoted it heavily uh, in front of Blair Witch. And this was kind of their move into higher budget studio fare, I guess. Um, and, it, I mean, it did okay. It did very well on video. But I really thought that it was going to be a big hit and just wasn't. That's, yeah, it's funny that you... Uh, recommended this because it's been on like the back burner of my watch list for so long and actually watching I'm like why did I wait so long to watch this and so okay so I'm glad you liked it I, I heard that there yeah. was a sequel but I don't think it's really connected to this one but I've never got around to watching it I do want to watch the sequel the, it, the cover looks terrible I'm yeah. like, I, I love that schlocky crappy kind of horror so um, I'm friends with the director so I'm afraid <laughs> uh. yeah <laughs> Uh, so here, David Kep is a very interesting guy because he always seems to have a film around the same time, you know, within a, like a, a, a six month period with David Tui, and I always got them confused because uh, they also wrote the same kind of movies, like you know, uh, David Kep did Jurassic Park and and I think one of the Indiana Jones and David Tui did uh, The Fugitive around this time. They always seem to have movies. Um, Around the same, they had the arrival and trigger effect, and then this and pitch black. It's just kind of funny if you look at their careers; they almost always have a movie at the same exact time. Um, I like David Tui's stuff better, even though it's it's very particular. 
um, like Pitch Black and The Arrival and uh, Chronicles of Riddick and stuff like that. David Kep makes movies that are lower budget, but they seem like they're attempting to be more like mainstream studio stuff. And um, I, I think Kevin Bacon, this is kind of the point where he switches over and you see him more in either villainous roles or he's the protagonist in darker movies. Uh, because before this, it's a, it's a mixed bag of like romantic comedies and, and stuff like that, and dramas. It, it's weird how many horror movies he's done in his career now. Yeah, I mean, he's he's very good at it. Like, that's one of the problems I think that a lot of horror movies suffer from is that it's usually seen as like a not as profitable genre or it's uh, not taken as seriously. Like, how many horror movies have ever been at the Oscars? You know, yeah. very few. And I think only one has ever won, which is Silence of the Lambs. Um, so usually they don't really get the higher the the um, uh, the the most expensive actors. Um, I feel like that's starting to change though, which is great. Uh, and I think Kevin Bacon just gives a phenomenal performance in this. He's not slumming it. He he's here to like you know this is a starring role. This could be huge for me. And I think if I remember correctly, I was reading uh, the making of Hollow Man, and um, uh, not Roland Emmerich. Who's the guy that fucking uh, Paul Verhoeven? Um, saw his performance in this and he said fuck yeah he can pull this off he can be you know an invisible guy who goes nuts um he's not he's a protagonist in this but he's he's kind of fucked up and i think all these people feel real like they they fuck up they make mistakes they they're just kind of like going from day to day just surviving they're not like you know how they always do oh he's a ambitious lawyer no he's just a dude yeah, yeah, it's it's very much blue collar workers. I mean, they're hanging out with like they're hanging out with the the high school football uh, team uh, in their free time. Like these people are very salt of the earth, and it's it's very it's a lot more engaging because like they have such interesting uh, lives that intersect with each other, and that's kind of part of what the story is about. And so I, I love the setting of, of, of this. Yeah. I did well, that at first, I thought it was really bizarre that they were all hanging out together, but it's just because I'm an isolationist piece of shit and I don't like groups. So yeah, like for me, it was weird. But like after after watching for a little longer, I was like starting to understand it better. Well, I live in a small town now, and that's the way it is. Everybody knows everybody, yeah. and they all seem like when. So I work at a fitness center. So Friday nights when there's a football game. There's nobody fucking there. At most, like, ten people. When it's usually packed on a Friday night because they all go to the football game. Because it's like religion. And I know that's nothing new to say because, you know, Friday Night Lights basically revealed that 20 years ago. But seriously, in small towns, everybody knows everybody. They'll have a conversation like some guy who's 60 will go, I saw you at that game the other day. It was amazing. You're throwing. You know, I remember when I would play football. You know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it is like that. And... Um, I also enjoy the fact that both movies, um, the city is a character. They really yes. make it, they don't make it feel like a generic city USA. You can tell the difference between Chicago and Philly. It's not obvious to a lot of people, but the way the director positions both cities in, in these films, whatever, that they have love for it, and, and they make it a part a, a part of the uh, narrative. Yeah, also just great uh, locations. Um, just like how closely the buildings are and also just narratively like how close all of the uh, main characters uh, live from one another yeah it's it, it, it all feels lived in uh, nobody lives in a fancy house these houses are broken down and, and they've been there for a hundred years um, I mean they're yeah they're old buildings which you know it, for 
like from Portland, from Portland, Oregon, that would be like very expensive and really cool. But like, I can tell that it's, it's probably old and cheap. Yeah. Well, in 99, Portland might've been affordable, but then all of a sudden around 2008, everybody decided Portland was the coolest fucking thing on the planet. <laughs> the price Right. Because then it became really cool to say that you had to live in one of those buildings and then, then it became way too expensive. Yeah. We don't have buildings like that here. Um, it, I mean, some cities have them, but it, it's a very particular building that, uh, you know, these massive fucking porches, because it seemed like every day, everybody back then, they didn't have air conditioning, so you would hang out, and your whole family would hang out on the porch. And uh, sometimes these buildings were, like, rented out. Um, you would have, like, five or six uh, different people living inside of one of these buildings, like in Astoria. Have you been to Astoria in Oregon? Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, so their buildings are a lot like that. So, you know, they're, they're so wide. And it's just all this character that they put into them. Um, and I feel like that's the one thing I, I, I wish they had done in this is, like, show, like, oh, well, these people are poor. They can't afford a house that fucking big. Like, they have to do a duplex or something. I don't know why I'm going off on this. This has nothing to do with the fucking movie, really. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, but that- that's what we're talking about is like it, the the city is so much is so alive it, it it is a character in itself that we can go on these tangents because it's it feels related you know the uh the whole thing is triggered in a unique way in this because usually it's trauma uh that usually gives you or you're born with it or something like that you know you oh he has the gift um well, yeah, like the shining or yeah uh, wait, whatever wait, the kid from sixth sense has no, I am wrong. I forgot. That is something that he talks about. He goes, the kid has it. He has more control over it. Kevin Bacon's character had it too, but it had to be triggered. Um, so there is a oh, moment. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, never mind. I don't know why I forgot that. There is a moment where I'm like, oh, shit, is he going to tell him that the kid has The Shining? <laughs> I didn't know what was going <laughs> on. <laughs> um, yeah, so never mind. It is a little stereotypical here. I, I, that's one thing in the movie I didn't like is because I feel like they build up this whole thing, like this whole other world of these secretive people that had this gift, and you were going to go into that world, and they just like, oh, no, I'm just going to stand outside of this, and we're just going to leave it go. I was like, wait, what? Hold on. Because, you know, because you remember in Scanners, they have that, like this whole underground meeting group of people who have the scanner powers. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I was so hoping that we would see what it was like in there. Yeah, and I feel like that's something that they could have explored, especially if it was a franchise. Like, okay, well, this is a whole thing of people like that are um, keeping it quiet because they don't want the cops to know or, or people to like you know capture them and put them in a lab and study them. Uh, so that yeah, was kind of... like thematically, it would make more sense that like anybody could um, have this ability if they tried, because, like, a, a lot of what the movie is about is about, like, these small towns and things that people keep hidden or intentionally just look the other way from, uh-huh. so the idea that you can willingly see, see it if you want to, is if you, if you try hard enough, that makes I, sense, I think yeah. wouldn't, thematically makes more sense than just being born with it. Yeah, and it's, as much as of a, a horror movie, I guess, it's more of a, a like, a dark th- uh, mystery because he's trying to solve why he gets these visions, but there are some good jumps in this. Yeah. I, I, yeah so basically, the whole movie hinges on um, the main character getting um, basically the uh, the shining, and he gets like well, he like can touch objects and kind of like see the, the history of it. Yeah, which is kind of like um, Dead Zone. Yeah, uh, I guess yeah, it's kind of a mix of a lot of different kinds, um, mm-hmm. but either way. 
Um, but what he kind of stumbles upon is that this girl um, went missing. And so he's trying to figure out what it means. And um, it, it basically it kind of it, it turns out that a lot of people in the neighborhood like know what happened and are all keeping it secret to, to protect um, the person that killed this girl. It's weird that they keep calling her the R word. Um, we, yeah. She didn't seem like she was even special. She just seemed like she was very shy and reserved. And they're like, ah, that figured, you know, whatever they keep saying it. And I thought that was so confounding. I was like, I don't understand why they would even think that. Yeah, I'm wondering if that was, like, their attempt to, like, if people from the outside are questioning, they'd be like, oh, yeah, she was, like, she was mentally challenged, so she just, she must have run away or something. Oh, so, like, they made up that narrative to try to build? Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, That's I, kind of I, the sense that I got. Because that word was used on me a lot growing up because I have ADD and I just don't think like the same way as other people. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, so she's just unusual and they just don't understand her, so therefore they use that go-to generic word? I, that, yeah. But if that's like, a no, fake... She's, no, she's not mentally challenged. She's just shy. Like, okay, yeah. So that, that's, again, so yeah, that's why I was like, I think that's, they're just making a cover story. Gotcha. Like, there's no way anyone can confuse her for being mentally challenged. Yeah. Um... And then spoilers right here. I got to discuss this. Uh, the whole sequence where he's in the basement and he shoots himself as Kevin Bacon is leaving, but then all of a sudden like, ha, 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 I faked the whole thing. Why? Yeah, I didn't get that either. Did he know the other guys were there, like outside, and that he was just like, okay, well, I got to get a step ahead of these guys and fake it so they think I'm dead so I can save the day and kind of maybe get rid of some of my guilt? I don't know. <laughs> also, like a rewrite. I don't know. Maybe, maybe in a, a past version, like they did plan. Like all the the three guys were like, "All right, you know what? I'm gonna go in first. I'll take him down. You guys come in for cleanup." And so they hear the gunshot, then they come to the door and are like surprised that he's alive or something. I don't okay, know. yeah, I should watch that to see what the if they seem like they're like, "Oh, uh, hi, why are you at the door?" <laughs> Yeah, as far as I remember, I don't think they were surprised. I think it it, it was just a, a very strange ending that it must have been messed with at some point. Yeah, um, and even with those flaws, I still think it's a phenomenal film. And a lot of it's because of the performances and how the director handles the mystery. Watching Kevin Bacon unravel, um, yes. you almost wonder if he's just having a mental breakdown. And, and, and not seeing anything and everybody's questioning like what the fuck is wrong with this guy he's so obsessed <laughs> yeah and then on top of that I think what they did really well is like kind of showing the uh, the psychological effect of like what would what would you do if you were married to this guy yeah. and this is happening how do you like how do you cope with that and and the kid is it's different it's fine than the performance that Haley Joe Osment gives. It's funny how they both have the same ability, but it's, it's played different. I think it's because he's just so much younger. And usually those kids are god-awful, and he was fine. I was, I was actually okay with it. Yeah, he was fine. It, mostly it was just like him being a kid born with it and sensitive to its ability doesn't understand that like his power's weird, so he just talks about it very normally. Yeah. Which people kind of take as him just being a strange kid. All right, so anything else you want to say before we go? No, this was excellent. I'm really uh, happy that we got to talk about this right. one. Cool. Uh, you never know when I'm like, ah, it's a steaming pile of shit. Thanks, Michael, for wasting my time. 
<laughs> That's those, why. Are, those are fun to talk about, too. They are kind of fun to talk about, too. I, I, I thought about The Haunting. I was like, nah, it's some big Hollywood bullshit. So. Yeah. Alrighty, uh, we'll be back with part two of this with Frighteners in Session 9.